Well, haven't you enjoyed the music? It's been great all week, and tonight was a special treat. Thank you guys for leading us. And uh, just some great old songs of the faith, some great new songs. If you would, I want you to take your Bibles tonight and turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. We'll pick up in verse 46 in just a few moments. But she was born March the 24th, 8. 1820, that's a long time ago, because of a doctor's mistake, she was blinded when she was only six years old. She was born again when she was 31 years of age. She married a blind musician. It is said and recorded that she wrote over 8,000 hymns that we find in our hymnals. That's a lot of hymns, and most of them had to do with sight. Her name was Fanny J. Crosby. If you've heard anything of music, you may have heard of Fanny J. Crosby. Let me ask you something tonight. How is it that some people have 20-20 vision and can't see anything? And there are other people that are blind that can actually get a glimpse of heaven. I want to talk to you for a few moments tonight. I had an opportunity to talk to these fine young people over here. Uh, Let me try to make things just as clear and simple for all of us tonight that we might understand something. I want to talk to you about the opportunity of a lifetime. The opportunity of a lifetime. If you will, pick up in Mark's Gospel chapter 10 and verse 46. Now they came to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, this is Jesus, and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then many warned him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. And so Jesus answered and said to him, is an interesting question. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. And listen to what Jesus said. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight. Now listen to this. And followed Jesus on the road. I want you to come with me to this passage, and I want to show you three very simple things. First of all, I want you to see what he saw. I want you to see what Bartimaeus saw. He was blind, and yet he saw more than even the disciples here. What did he see? Three things. Number one, he saw that his greatest opportunity had come. 
Jesus is en route. The Bible says that he's going out of Jericho. Now, Jericho was only a little small town about oh, just a few miles northeast of Jerusalem. And Jesus has his disciples and a great multitude. I don't know how many was in the multitude, but it was a large number. If Mark said it was a great multitude, he's on his final leg. He's on the final steps, the final journey to Jerusalem to die on the cross. Now, I want you to notice just a couple of little simple things about Bartimaeus. As Jesus is coming into Jericho on his way out, headed to Jerusalem to go to the cross on the final journey, what happens? There's this man sitting on the side of the road and he's begging. He's on the bottom rung of society. It's horrible to be a beggar. I've never had to beg for anything in my life. Suppose that you probably have never had to beg. I wonder if any of us would even identify what it is to be a beggar. My son and I, or my family and I, were at uh, New Orleans uh, several years ago at the Southern Baptist Convention. And we were staying right downtown. And it was right close to the Vietnam Memorial. And my son and I, he was about 12 or 13, maybe 11, 12, somewhere around there. I told him, I said, I want to carry you down to the Vietnam Memorial. En route to that place, we walked down out of the hotel, down the sidewalk, and we were walking, and there's this big chain-link fence there. And over on the other side, about as far probably from here to that wall back there, was a whole line of nothing but men. Shabbily dressed, long beards, unkept hair. And they were all standing in line, shoulders drooped. And my son looked over at me and he said, what is that? I said, son, those are homeless beggars. Addicted, whatever the case may be. I said, but they're standing in line waiting for the soup kitchen to open and I don't think he or I, either one, ever forgot that sight. Bartimaeus is sitting by the road begging. But not only is he begging, he's blind. Now, it's one thing to be down on your luck and beg for something. But there's another thing to be blind. You know what Bartimaeus is a picture of? He's a picture of this world today. Actually, we're begging and not only are we begging, but we're blind in so many different ways. Now listen, if you're here tonight and you're lost, this is the opportunity to get your spiritual sight. This is the opportunity to cry out to Jesus that you might be saved. But if you're here tonight as a Christian and your heart is cold and hardened and you've drifted, this is the golden opportunity to cry out to Jesus to revive you and restore you and renew you. If this church tonight, this is the golden opportunity for you. It's the golden opportunity for you. see, Jesus was in physical form here, passing by. But Jesus is always passing by today. 
He's resurrected from the tomb. He's alive and well. And in spirit, his spirit is always passing by. But so many people are blind. One of the young ladies told me over here tonight as we were talking after the pizza, I said, uh, uh, who is God? You know, we can't see God. She said, we saw God in the clouds. Well, in some ways she's right. He's not, the cloud is not God, but it's the creation of God. We see God all around us. This is his work, his creation. But yet, how many lost people are blind? But how many saved people are blind? And how many churches are blind? Did you know in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, Paul said, the God of this age has blinded the minds of lost people. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible says that our hearts have been blinded. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible says we've been blinded by darkness. All of a sudden, old Bartimaeus is here on the side of the road, and he's begging, and all of a sudden he hears a stir, he hears a commotion. What's going on? What's happening? What's going on? Jesus! Jesus and his disciples! Now they didn't say, well, the apostle Peter's coming this way. Or Brother Don or Brother Richard is coming this way. They said, this is Jesus. Jesus is in route. And old Bartimaeus, he must have perked up a little bit and said, oh, I'm begging. And Jesus with the disciples, but I think he had a hunch about the great multitude. My prospects are just a little bit brighter now with a great multitude coming. The greatest opportunity had arrived. But here's the second thing that I want you to see that he saw. See what he saw. Number one, not only did you see his greatest opportunity had come, he saw this. His greatest opportunity could easily pass him by. Look back in the passage, if you will. The Bible says, now they came to Jericho, and as Jesus went out of Jericho, another hour, and Jesus is going to be long gone. Another few steps and Jesus would be out of hearing distance. You see, he saw that his greatest opportunity had come, but not only that, he saw that his greatest opportunity could easily pass him by. Now, he doesn't have sight, but he has something else. And he used his time and his senses. What did he have? He didn't have sight, but he had a voice. We may not be able to see God in flesh. We may not be able to see God, but we've got a voice. And there is God. God incarnate, God in flesh, walking along the streets into Jericho on his way out. Hey, I've heard something about, the Bible says faith cometh by hearing. I've heard something about this man, Jesus. You know, I heard that he could give uh, he can make a poor man rich. I, I've heard that he could make a, make a sick man well. I've heard that he can make a foolish man wise. I've heard about this man. I've heard something about him. Oh, you need to understand tonight. Bartimaeus knew a little bit more than what you think he did. Not only do you see what he saw, he saw that his greatest opportunity had come. He saw that his greatest opportunity could easily pass him by. And the third thing he saw was this. This opportunity might never, not ever pass this way again. I may not ever have a second chance. And if I don't get this man's attention, I'm going to live the rest of my life in darkness. If I don't get his attention, I am going to live the rest of my life and die and live in darkness blinded. You see, his opportunity had come. 
his opportunity could easily pass him by. And it might not ever return again. It's now or never. You know what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5? He said, redeem the time. What does that mean, redeem the time? It means, it's a banking term, to buy up. A marketing term. Redeem the time. Buy it up. Use it wisely. Why? Because the days are evil. You know what the word evil there in the Greek language is? It's the word for pornea. Paul said, redeem the time because the days are pornographic. That's what he's saying. What did Bartimaeus see? Even though he was blind, his greatest opportunity had come. It could easily pass him by, and it might not ever return again. I want to stop here just for a few moments. I told you the other week I'd share some things with you. I grew up right outside of Memphis, Tennessee. I grew up down in Fayette County. I went to school in Somerville. I graduated from high school in 1971. And uh, my dad was, uh, worked for TDOT, for his surveyor, and then also he, he farmed on the side. Now listen, I've grown up in a cotton field and a cornfield. These were the only cotton pickers we had back then. This was the only combine we had back then. I've picked corn, chopped corn, picked corn, shucked corn, put corn in the barn. Listen, I have chopped cotton, picked cotton, ginned cotton, carried it to the gin to be baled. I grew up on a farm. I've slopped the hogs. I've gathered the eggs. I've fed the cows. But I grew up on the back of a horse. My dad had registered Appaloosas. He had saddle horses. I had a speed horse that was well-known, beautiful bay horse with a black mane and tail, and he knew only one thing, and that was to run. I showed him all over, and guess what his name was? You'll never guess what his name was. Satan. Here comes Donald McCulley into the ring riding Satan, and he just knew one thing, that was to run. But ever since I was a little boy, my mom and daddy would carry us to the Mid-South Fair Rodeo. And ever since I've been a little boy, I grew up wanting to be a cowboy. That's all I ever wanted to do. As a matter of fact, on career day, when my senior year of high school, I filled out my form. What do you want to be? I want to be an auctioneer and a professional rodeo bull rider. In 1971, after I got out of high school, I caught a Greyhound bus to Fort Smith, Arkansas, and I went to auctioneering school, and for the next two and a half years when I got out, I worked as a livestock auctioneer. Hey, but I'll write the moment going to give And I sold horses intact. And that was the same year I got on my first bull. Won my jackpot rodeo, the first bull I ever got on, just a young bull. But here's the interesting thing, is that the first big bull I ever got on was named Sit Tight. I didn't sit tight very long. But you know who owned Sit Tight? A man right over here in Scotts Hill, Tennessee, by the name of Cody Overman. I made every one of his rodeos. I've been on his bull 553. I've been on his bull Coconut. I've been on his bull Swamp Rat. I've been on, I never did get on White Lightning. He was too bad. I never drew him, but all the other guys were turning him out. I rodeoed for four years. I rodeoed in freedom, hurting tonight. I rodeoed two years in open rodeos, and then I rodeoed two years in 
International Rodeo Association, IPRA, same group that the UT Martin Cowboys ride in. I lived my dream. I had the opportunity. But I got to tell you this little story very quickly. <clears throat> I have a picture in my office, at home office, and it's a picture of my buddy and me that we used to travel together every weekend. His name was Bruce Person. He lived right outside of Memphis. Bruce died this past year uh, during the COVID, not from COVID, but he died. And I didn't even get a chance to go to his funeral, but I look at his picture every night just about before I go to bed, and I just a whole group of guys. We were at a rodeo school. Bruce called me one day, and he said this. He said, McCulley, we got the opportunity of a lifetime. I said, what is it? He said, Loretta Lynn Longhorn in Nashville is putting on a rodeo, and they're recruiting cowboys and cowgirls to come. And as a matter of fact, they're giving discount airfare. If we can fly up there, we can fly back that same night. Said, uh, yeah, we, can get, we can go to the rodeo. I said, Bruce, where is it? He said, Madison Square Garden in New York City. I said, you're kidding. Folks, you're looking at a guy who had the opportunity to ride at Madison Square Garden on a bull. I wished I could stand here tonight and tell you that I went. We talked ourselves out of it. I wound up going to Fort Campbell, Kentucky and got cheated out of the bull riding. That was just insult to, injury to insult, insult to injury, whatever. But one of the last conversations I ever had with Bruce, every time we talked to one another, he'd say this. He said, you remember when we passed up on the opportunity of a lifetime. Now, getting on a bull at Madison Square Garden is a pretty big deal. But it's not anything like getting your life ready to go to heaven. In October of 1975, on a Sunday night, just at a regular worship service, nothing big events. As a matter of fact, what is it even a big crowd there? I had, had, had failure in my life. Been raised in church was out of church, but I had failure in my life, and I knew something was wrong, not right. As a matter of fact, that morning I had said to myself, I need to go forward. I hadn't been in church in a while, and I was dating a girl in that church. Girls can be attractive to guys for churches, you know. It's not the one I married, but that was at that time. But anyway, Preacher, never, I'll never forget, he didn't preach an evangelistic sermon. He just preached on selling out to God, on how the Apostle Paul was sold out to God. And I came forward that night. I can't explain it to you. Something happened on the way down the aisle. I don't know. I can't, I can't put it into words. I came forward and told the pastor, I said, I want to sell my life out to God. We knelt there at the altar. And I don't even remember what all I said. He just said, tell God what you are. And I told him I was a sinner. And I began to weep and break down. Not everybody cries. But he said, I ask the Lord to come into your heart and life and forgive you of your sins and save you. And I asked him. And that was a long, long time ago. But my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. You see, tonight... You have the opportunity of a lifetime to be saved. You have the opportunity as a Christian to get your life serious with God. You have the opportunity as a church to do some great things. Stop mealy-mouthing God. Stop asking Him to give you just a little bitty side dish over here when God says, I am able to do exceedingly abundantly all that you could ever ask, think, or imagine.
I'm 60, I'm going to be 68 years old this coming September the 5th. So you all remember me on my birthday. I've been at First Baptist Church of Dresden for 32 years. I went there in 1989. Our daughter was two years old. Our son was born there. That's the only town they've ever known. Not the biggest town, not the biggest church. But I've tried to be faithful. But I'll be 68 years old. And two weeks ago, I stood in the pulpit and looked out over a congregation on a Wednesday night and watched them vote unanimously to enter into a $2.2 million expansion program. I thought, man, I don't know if I've got the back and the heart to do this or not. But they said, listen, God's seen us through this. We've got it paid off. He's seen us through this. We've gotten it paid off. He's seen us through this. Now, ask God for some great things. Listen, we're living in a society today, folks, and I'm going to hurry. We're living in a society today that all we see are obstacles. And all God sees are opportunities. For Jesus is passing by. He's always passing by. And sometimes he may play a little hard to get, but he's always passing by. Now, here's the second thing I want you to, to see in this, in this little message. Not only do I want you to see what he saw, I want you to see what he shows. What, uh, what does Bartimaeus show us? Well, he shows us four things, and I'm going to be very quick. Number one, he shows us the art of perception. Do you know what Bartimaeus, he knew something. You know what he knew? When Jesus was coming by, they said, who is it? He says, Jesus of Nazareth. And he began to cry out. Did you hear this? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You know what he perceived? He perceived who Jesus was to some degree. How many other times? I thought Jesus was the son of God. I thought Jesus was the son of man. Here he says, Jesus, son of David. What does he mean? He recognizes the royalty. You see, David was the greatest king Israel had ever known. And God had promised Israel that they would always, uh, promised David's family that he would always have a ruler on the throne. And that's none other than Jesus himself. Bartimaeus saw royalty. He saw majesty. He saw something of the kingship of Jesus. He, he, he shows us the art of perception. Number two. He shows us the art of persistence. Jesus is coming by. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Shh, 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 shh. You're blind. You're a beggar. You're the lowest form of society. The king doesn't have time for people like you. I am convinced that if Jesus came into many of our churches tonight, he would absolutely wreck them. Because you see, the people like Bartimaeus don't really find a place of comfort or a place of acceptance or a place of belonging in most of our churches. He shows us the art of persistence. Shh, shh. And the Bible says he refused to be quiet. As a matter of fact, when they told him to be quiet, Jesus, he, he cried out even more. 
Don't ever let people silence you. Have you ever noticed that it was a, the voice that caught the ear of Jesus? Your voice can catch his ear. Your voice, my voice. That's why pr prayer is so important. It's because our voices get his attention. Friends, listen to me. Quit waiting until the circumstances are ideal for you to be saved. Quit waiting for the circumstances to be ideal for you to serve him. Quit waiting for the ideal circumstances to come along. If you do, you'll never do anything for him. Never. Oh, we're just looking for that ideal church. Good luck on that one. We're just looking for that ideal pastor. Good luck on that one too. Quit waiting for the ideal. He shows us the art of perception. He knew Jesus had sensed who Jesus was. Now he shows him the art of persistence. He keeps on and on and on. But here's the third thing. He shows us the art of expectation. Sometimes uh, we don't expect God to do very much. And God says, all right, if you're not going to expect me to do very much, have you ever occurred to you that Bartimaeus is sitting here on the side of the road, begging, blind. Jesus is walking by with his disciples, the great multitude. And he's crying out to Jesus to, to have mercy on him. And the people around him are saying, be quiet, be quiet, shh, hush. You're not his type. He doesn't have time for you. Has it ever occurred to you that Jesus himself could have stopped where he was? He could have walked over to where Bartimaeus was, and he could have done what he did later in the passage. He could have healed him right there. But instead of Jesus walking over to where he was, he made the people who were telling him to be quiet to go and get him. You people that have been telling him to shut up, you go get him and you bring him to me. And the Bible says that when Jesus called him, what does he do next? He tosses aside his garment. Now, you know, a, a garment to a blind man and a blind beggar is pretty, pretty important, wouldn't you say? I mean, you got to have your blanket to keep warm at night. you got to have your blanket to sit on in the daytime. It's, a, your, it's your, your comfort zone. It's your comfort blanket. And what does he do? The Bible says he cast it aside. You know why he cast it aside? Later on, Jesus looked at him and said, Your faith has made you well. Where had he, where, where had he shown his faith? He showed his faith when he cast aside his garment because he believed and trusted that he wasn't going to need it anymore. This man can have mercy on me. But there's one other thing I'll hurry. He shows us the art of perception. He shows us the art of persistence. He shows us the art of expectation. But he shows us the art of asking. Asking. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. And it's very interesting to me that when the man was brought to Jesus by the group that had been telling him to be quiet, now all of a sudden they're lovey-dovey. Oh, be of good cheer, be of good cheer. He's calling you to come on over here. And when he got there, Jesus asked him one simple little question. And if you don't hear anything else I say tonight, I want you to hear this. Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? 
What do you want me to do for you? He didn't ask for clothing. He didn't ask for money. He didn't ask for anything. You know what he said? I want to see. Suppose Jesus came passing by you tonight, and he said to you, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want you to redeem me. Lord, I want you to revive me. Lord, I want you to restore me. I want you to, I want you to do something. What do you want me to do for you? You know the sad part about that is? Well, let me give you a little illustration. I'm about to close here. So you. My wife's birthday is July the 29th, 1960. That's when she was born. Her birthday is July the 29th. I look over at her and I say, now, now what do you want for your birthday? Nothing. Don't get me anything. Don't get me. I said, you're a wonderful wife. I don't need a thing. What do you want for your, I don't need a thing. Now, if she asked mine, September the 5th, she asked me what I want, I'm going to tell her I need a new Leavenwood. That's a golf club, by the way. I need this golf club. I'm going to ask. You know, the sad part about it is, is that Jesus asked many of us tonight, what do you want me to do for you? And we say to him, no, thanks, I don't need anything. You see, I can function in life quite well without you. I don't really need anything from you. Because we don't understand what it is to be a blind beggar. I'm going to close with this last little thing. I want you to see what he saw. I want you to see what he shows. And number three, I want you to see what he says. You know what Bartimaeus teaches us tonight? He teaches us, <clears throat> refuse to stay put. That man was important enough to Jesus, and you are too. I told these young people tonight, there is a God. I can't identify him. I can't explain him. I can't tell you. God came from nowhere. He's always been. I can't explain God to you. If I could, I'd be God, but I can't. All I do is by faith. God is, and God loves us so much that he gave his son to die for us on the cross. And every single person here tonight is just as important to him as Bartimaeus was. It was important enough for Jesus to stop what he was doing. Not only do you see, refuse to stay put, but number two, refuse to shut up. And the last thing is, refuse to slow down. Don't stay put, don't shut up, and don't slow down. I want you to notice something. Did you see the last part of that in verse 52? Then Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. The just shall live by faith. Trust. And I find this interesting. And immediately he received his sight. And followed Jesus on the road. Well, let me ask you something. Where was Jesus headed? He was headed to Jerusalem to the cross. You see, following Jesus always leads to a cross. We've conditioned people today to think that it leads to comfortable cushions. Nothing wrong with that. I like comfortable cushions. But the cross, Jesus, following him, leads you to a cross. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. 
the opportunity of a lifetime. I just preached a sermon just a couple of weeks ago on the parable of the talents. He called his servants in, the man that was about to leave. He called his servants in. He gave to one five talents. He gave to one two, and he gave to one one. The man with the five doubled them. The man with the two doubled them. What did the man with the one do? Jesus said, what's happened? He said, I knew you to be a hard man, and I buried it in the ground, and I hid it. Jesus said, you did what? Or the servant of the master said, you did what? You buried it, and you hid it? You didn't take the opportunity that I had given to you of all of the resources and all of the things, and you hid it? Tonight you have before you the opportunity of a lifetime. Don't let him pass by. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for the stories of the blind Bartimaeus. And tonight how you call us. How you're always passing by. And how right now is the opportunity to be saved, the opportunity to confess unto God, I'm a sinner. Ask the Lord Jesus, ask the Lord, come into my heart and life, forgive me, save me, redeem me, restore me, revive me. Tonight is the night of the opportunity for this church and the opportunity for every child of God to renew that commitment. Guide us in this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.